Blue 42! Blue 42! Hut! Hut! Hike! This is The Game Managers on WJLX 101.5, America's one and only sports talk show. Breaking down college football's biggest games, latest news, and greatest moments. Are you ready? Because it starts right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Game Managers Podcast. I'm Nick Norris, and with me, as always, is actually no one this week. Justin Knight, not here with us, uh, scheduling conflicts. I had to record a little late, having to do it at a different location. He was not able to to join us, but that's okay. We're going to roll on anyway and talk about all the big college football news of the week, all the big games. We're going to go through and talk about Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, LSU, Florida, Texas A&M, some others as well. But first, as we usually do, we have to get into the news of the week. And there is a uh, some interesting things that happened this week. The first up off the list, some tough news. Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott is missing multiple weeks due to a thumb injury he sustained last Sunday. Cooper Rush is the man now until Dak is able to return. And America's team just can't catch a break outside of you know the wrong ones that put players out, but it's going to be interesting seeing how the Cowboys do without Dak on the field. We'll uh, we'll get a glimpse of that, I guess, over the next few weeks. Supposedly, Dak is going to put on a headset and talk to uh, Cooper Rush, try to lead him through some of the more difficult aspects of the game, help him be the eyes there on the sideline. So, Cowboys always always something. Hopefully Dak has a, uh, a quick recovery there. In other news, after last week's embarrassing showing, Nebraska has fired head coach Scott Frost. By doing this now, the Cornhuskers are able to get an early jump on the annual coaching carousel, though. But who are they going to turn to? It seems as though they might just be shooting for the semi-recently disgraced ex-coach of Florida, Ohio State, most recently Jacksonville Jaguars, Urban Meyer. Now, Urban Meyer is likely itching to get back into the coaching game, despite the fact that it hasn't went well for him recently. I guess at least now if he took it, he would be surrounded by sorority girls once again. He seems to be a fan of that, and I'm sure he wants a chance to be able to prove himself again as a coach. Nobody nobody really denies that Urban is a great college coach, though. He's proven that pretty consistently but I don't know that he's worth all that drama that he brings with him. And it's everywhere. At Ohio State, uh, it was the Zach Smith fiasco. At Florida, a lot of stuff went down, supposedly behind the scenes. He ended up leaving for health reasons, and some other things came out since then. Zach Smith, also an issue there as well. The assistant coach that allegedly abused his wife and Urban Meyer, perhaps allegedly knew about it and covered it up, well as his wife Shelly. But I guess it's up to Nebraska if they decide that he's worth all that drama. Like we said, he is a great coach. Nebraska needs something. Is that the answer, though? It seems like they've already been in talks at the very least, as reports have came out that Nebraska has at least called Urban Meyer and spoke to him. 
but would Urban take this job or is he waiting for something else? I don't know how many other high-profile schools are willing to hire Urban Meyer right now. Nebraska might be his only chance, unless he actually wants to stay retired for once, something he has a, uh, a not great track record of doing. He likes to retire and unretire relatively quickly, so we'll see. We will see. Uh, it's been enough time that I think he could take it. He's gotten a couple years, I guess it's been now, to distance himself from the most recent scandals, several of which happened at Jacksonville with the Jaguars. Of course, the uh, the most recognizable being that he was dancing uh, very closely with a young girl in her early 20s at a bar owned by him and his wife. Their photo hanging on the wall in the background of where they were dancing, not a great look, as well as... Uh, Many other scandals, including threatening a kicker, and um, well, gee, what else happened? So much, so much has came out about that since then. If you have any interest in it, if you haven't heard about it somehow, just give that a Google. I don't know that Nebraska's willing, if they're that desperate, to go after Urban Myers, but they are at least willing to talk to him about it. So we will keep an eye on that, see what comes of that in the future. Speaking of big decisions, tennis legend Roger Federer announced this week he will be retiring. The 20-time Grand Slam champion is hanging it up at age 41. His last match will be in the Levere Cup, where he will compete as part of Team Europe with Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and Andy Murray all playing together for the first time. And finally, we got the new AP poll this morning. Penn State taking a big jump after their Big win over Auburn, throttling over Auburn and the orange out there at Jordan-Hare. We're going to talk all about that in a bit, but I'm going to go down the list here of the top 25, starting with number one, Georgia, sitting pretty. The Bulldogs at number one. Right behind them, very close second, is Alabama, 3-0, Crimson Tide. Uh, Ohio State behind them at number three. Michigan at number four. Clemson, Oklahoma, USC, Kentucky at number 8, Oklahoma State, and Arkansas at 10. So let's see, that puts four SEC teams in the top 10. And we have one peaking just outside of the top 10 with Tennessee at number 11. When was the last time Tennessee was ranked that high? I don't know. It seems like it's been a while. North Carolina State, Utah, Penn State jumping up eight slots to the 14th position there. Oregon at number 15, Ole Miss at 16, Baylor, Washington, BYU, Florida at 20. They dropped two spots after surviving against South Florida in the swamp. Wake Forest, Texas at 22. Texas A&M jumping one spot to 23 after their win over Miami. Pittsburgh at 24. And Miami dropping 12 spots to 25. Still in the top 25, but just barely there. Okay, well... Very good. We do have to move on, though. We need to go into our weird news segment of the week, Mismanagers. Peculiar and wonderful and terrible and bad. Mismanagement and mystery and dreams you never had. Grizzly or grievous or beavers with cleavers. Audacity and specialty and news to drive you mad. It's a wonder any one of us can manage to survive in a world of, world of mismanagers. All right. This is my favorite segment. Maybe yours as well. Maybe not Justin's. He uh, 
you know what? Justin says that Professor Knight is his favorite. I don't believe that. I think that Miss Managers is his favorite. I think he gets more enjoyment out of this one. It's all the weird news of the week, and we've got it right here. This comes from shepherdexpress.com. They've been kind enough to put together a list of some of the weird things that happened this week. We're going to go through these live together. I have not looked at these yet, and there's quite a bit here. Hopefully nothing too crazy I'm going to get canceled for for reading. But either way, just know that I didn't make these stories, and I didn't partake in them. I'm just reading them, right? I'm just profiting off of them. So let's get into the first one, titled Odd Job. Kainz Clinics in Amsterdam, which recently which treats anxiety, phobias, and PTSD, posted a job opening for someone who was able to vomit at will. The person who fills the part-time position will help patients who have a fear of vomiting, replacing a previous employee who retired, psychologist uh, Marte Grasse, who posted the position, said the response had been overwhelming. There are more applicants than expected. Our new transmitter is certainly among them. Uh, transmitter, I'm not sure what that means. One hopeful applicant gushed, Now I can finally share my art. Vomit on command. Great. Uh, very good. I hate that. I hate that. I, got, I, don't, I don't think I can vomit on command. I guess I haven't tried. Maybe, maybe that'll be a next episode thing. I'll sit here and I'll try to vomit. I, but I'm not... I'm not at the middle space for that right now. Actually, you know, I'm never going to do that. That sounds sounds terrible. Moving on, though. PDH, public display of hygiene. During the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament on September 6th, as a match unfolded between Nick Kigros, I apologize, of Australia and Karen Kachanov of Russia at Arthur Ashe Stadium, two men in the stands stole the show for a few minutes. YouTube prankster Jidillion donned a barber's cap while a second man gave him a trim with clippers at least until the tournament security arrived. Uh, they were escorted out of their seats and then off the grounds for disruption of play. There's a first time for everything, says U USTA's Brendan McIntyre. However, it wasn't but uh, the first for uh, Judeon. He got a trim at the Timberwolves versus Mavericks game in March and July. He was banned for life from Wimbledon for blowing an air horn during a match between Novak Djokovic and Jenik Sinner. So, this guy's he's all over the place, I guess. He likes to uh, disrupt. That's fun. That's, it's not hurting anybody, is it? I think that's fun. That's good stuff. Pricey potty break. Selvo pilot Steve Strickland was headed to Chesapeake Bay from Queens, New York, early on Labor Day. When nature called, he set the boat on autopilot and stepped away, but the autopilot shut off. The boat, which he'd bought only three weeks before, hit a rock jetty and became stuck in the sand at a beach in Ocean City, New Jersey, around 4 a.m. Strickland had to wait until afternoon to get a tow. For him, Labor Day amounted to a lot of headache and a lot of money. That's tough. That's unfortunate. That's not even a fun one. That's just, that's a bad day. I feel like we've all had some bad days like that, but that's, that's tough. Unclear on the concept. Elizabeth Leon, 18 years old, was hired to babysit a four-year-old in Aventura, Florida from 1.45 p.m. until about midnight on August 15th. When the child's mother texted Leon at 11.14 p.m. to say she was heading home, Leon texted back that she was heading out because her mother had paid for an Uber to take her back home when it arrived of time. <laughs> Leon told the mother she had locked the door and requested her $168 payment the mother checked her ring doorbell recording and saw that Leon had actually left at 9.45 p.m. 
leaving the child alone for almost two hours. On August 22nd, Leon was charged with child neglect and transferred to jail where she's unlikely to be able to leave early. That's a nightmare. It's, uh, getting a babysitter is tough enough as it is to get one like that. Is, uh, that's quite unfortunate. That's tough. Mm. Police report. In Fort Myers, Florida, Lee County deputies stopped to investigate a Nissan Altima that was parked blocking a bicycle lane on September 3rd. Officers found a man reclining in the driver's seat. After giving them a false name, he was asked to exit the vehicle. And that's when Randy Osterman, 34 years old, reached into the console and removed a three-foot-long steel sword, then paused to attach a dragon-shaped handle to the blade. Police backed off as Osterman poked the sword out of the car's window at them. As he tried to escape through the passenger door, he was subdued and arrested. Officers found methamphetamine, marijuana, and a glass pipe in the car. Yeah, that adds up. If you think you can uh, fight off the police with a, with a dragon sword, meth may be involved. That's very good. Very good. Very good. Let's see. Let's. We got a few more of these. Maybe I'll. Maybe I'll just pick a couple more. Bright idea. Ryan Boria and Amy Shagner was re really hoping for a slow night at the Wendy's where they both worked on August 26. So, as they drove to the restaurant in Tilden Township, Pennsylvania, they made a short stop along the train crossing in Industrial Drive. Boria quote placed a shunt on the track. He got back in the car and they proceeded to Wendy's. They told us, this is the officer talking, they told us that their intentions were that if the gates could malfunction and they could somehow block traffic, then they would be able to prevent people from getting to Wendy's and they could have a slow night at work. Both were arrested on multiple charges, including causing or risking a catastrophe. Hmm, let me find, I'm going to pick one more here. we got about three more, I'm going to pick one more. Hmm, some good ones. There's some good ones. Here's one about, let's see, this is about... Oh, it's a Florida boy. That, Florida people are always interesting, aren't they? Uh -huh. Okay, how about this one? Let's talk. Let's, let's do this one. How about this? A Chinese man in his 40s, identified only as Hu, and his partner were picking pine nuts in a forest park in Heilongjiang province near, I'm sorry about that, in northeastern China. On September 4th, using an unconventional method, they were perched in the basket of a tethered hydrogen balloon which might have been fine, but the balloon became untethered. The second person jumped to the ground, but who was aloft in the balloon for two days traveled more than 200 miles before rescuers re reached him by cell phone and instructed him about how to slowly deflate the balloon and land safely. By that time, he was close to the border with Russia, who was reportedly in good health aside from having back pain from standing so long. That is a nightmare. To be stuck in the, the sky with no food, no water, two days, you're getting near Russia, where you're probably going to get shot, shot down. Terrifying stuff. Very scary stuff. And very good. That brings us to our commercial break, though. When we come back, we're going to talk about Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, LSU, Florida, Texas A&M, many others. So, stay tuned. You're listening to The Game Managers on WJLX 101.5. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Game Managers. I'm Nick Norris. Without me today, Justin Knight. He not able to join us during the game. That's okay. I missed last week when him and Aaron took over. I should have said this up top. They did a great job. Uh, always fun to have Aaron back on the show. Used to be a regular co-host, but 
uh, due to jobs, work, everything else. He, uh, he's not able to be on it as often as he would like, but always a treat when he is able to, to hop on and join us. Now, we're going to talk about all the big games, all the big SEC games in particular of the week. We're going to start out with Alabama, the one that most people who listen to the show probably has an interest in. But the least probably to talk about as well as Alabama rolled 63-7 to over Louisiana Monroe. Fun story, my first ever college football game I attended was Alabama versus Louisiana Monroe, and Louisiana Monroe won at home. Uh, it was tough. It was tough to watch. Bad first game experience, but I have moved on. I did survive. Uh, at least part of me did. Some of me died that day. Let's talk about the game, though. Bryce Young, 13 for 18, 236 yards, three touchdowns, but two picks in this game. We saw a little bit of, of Milrow come in. Uh, he threw two passes, didn't complete either, but he did have two carries for 42 yards. As for Bryce Young, he had three carries for six yards and a touchdown on the ground. Uh, four touchdowns total for Bryce Young. Still quite a productive day, even though things were uh, were not perfect. It's funny that this, uh, this quarterback has four touchdowns in a game, and everybody's like, ah, oh, not a great game for, for Bryce Young, but because those two picks guess they stood, uh, stood out just a bit. Still, phenomenal play by Bryce Young. On the other side of the ball, Rodgers for Louisiana Monroe. He's 11 for 21, 96 yards, and a uh, one pick as well. And the lead rusher is Jackson, 13 carries for 36 yards and a touchdown. For Alabama, Roy Roydell Williams, he had eight carries, 58 yards, a touchdown. Always nice to see Roydell, the Hueytown alumnus there. Uh, running the ball for Alabama, always fun, a nice little treat to see him. What a uh, what a great running back as well. Receiving, uh, it's no surprise that Gibbs was the top receiver. He had four receptions, 65 yards, and a touchdown. Holden and uh, Niblack also had a couple touchdowns as well, split between them both. Overall, obviously, Alabama took care of business, 63-7. to Easily could have made it 70 there is the final minutes of play, but chose to to kneel it and give uh, the ball back to Louisiana Monroe on a fourth down play. And a classy move there as well by Saban. But um, still, there's some definitely some, uh, some weak spots on this Alabama team. The line, not always playing their best game. Uh, same thing with the receiving core, although this is a very talented receiving core. Maybe not as talented as some of the years we've had recently. And the defensive backs also not the strongest as they have been in some years past for Alabama. Overall, still the number two team in the country. Still is probably going to compete for a national championship. If not, uh, I think the nation would be pretty surprised. And it's still going to, uh, to be a great and memorable year for Alabama as it seems. But as of right now, there are some iffies on this team. I'm not ready to crown Alabama national champions by any means, especially with the way Georgia has been looking. And how about we go ahead and talk about Georgia? Uh, Georgia this week showing dominance, as they often do. Um, Kirby Smart definitely has this team back and hungry as they were last year. And the scary thing is they look just as good as they were last year. The, the reigning national champions have not seemed to have skipped a beat thus far. And in their 48-7 win over South Carolina 
on the road, they seem to be just as dominant. Stetson Bennett definitely proving uh, doubters, including myself, who was one wrong. 16 for 23, 284 yards, two touchdowns. He has had a, uh, a great start to the season. Also had three carries for 36 yards and a touchdown. Anytime your quarterback is your leading passer and your leading rusher, you know that uh, that quarterback is the real deal. I guess that is, though, the weak spot for Georgia this year. Maybe not as strong of a running game, although they are giving out, instead of having that one focal back, a lot of guys are getting touches. Milton got 10. Uh, Edwards had four. Robinson had six. Uh, McIntosh had four as well. So they're spreading the ball out. They're getting a lot of guys uh, being able to touch it. Top receiver was Bowers, five uh, receptions, 121 yards, two touchdowns. Delt had a touchdown as well as uh, 32 yards on just two receptions. The Stetson Bennett has been the most impressive for me as of so far. I've been very surprised by his progress. I mean, he was already a national champion winning quarterback. That's no easy feat, but he has improved over this offseason. He is looking even better just about every week. And um, Alabama has to play Georgia at some point in the SEC championship or beyond. I will be a little worried for Alabama because Georgia looking pretty strong, uh, definitely. South Carolina, on the other hand, not so much. Spencer Rattler, he was 13 for 25, 118 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. Uh, not not bad. I mean, it, it's the Georgia defense. What are you going to do, right? I mean, he, he, he got over 100 yards passing, but those two picks, detrimental. When Doty came in, he also had a pick, although he did get a touchdown on five, or five of eight completions, 76 yards. Then we saw Kroger there for one one pass uh, for 20 yards. I don't know. Uh, South Carolina has a long way to go. Not ready to compete with the upper echelon of powerhouses like your Georgias, Alabamas, Ohio States. Definitely not in that league yet. Maybe eventually. But uh, right now at 1-2 and two and 0-2 oh in conference play, not a great start for the Gamecocks this season. And speaking of not a great start... Let's move on to the big one of the week. The big, everybody's ready to talk about. Auburn. The Auburn Tigers. In the orange outs there, hosting Penn State. Last year, Tigers went on the road. Played a close close game against Penn State. Got that win at the whiteout. And this year, it was not close. Penn State came to Jordan-Hare and dominated 41-12. It was an ugly game, and it got out of hand pretty quick in the second quarter. Not that it was ever in hand for the Tigers. It was not a great day for Brian Harson, who is already not in the favor of the Auburn boosters. Of course, as everyone is aware at this point, Auburn very much wanted to get rid of Brian Harson in the offseason, going as far as to have a, a look into the program, trying to find anything they could to get that coach out of there. And although I am a Brian Harson fan, I am starting to waver on my belief that he is the guy there for Auburn. I think he is a good coach. I think he is probably could be a great coach, but I don't know that this is the right fit for him. I don't think he's happy there. Auburn is certainly not happy to have him there. And let's look at the stats in this monumental loss. TJ Finley, 
11 for 19, 152 yards and a pick. Ashford, once he came in, 10 for 19, 144 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Not much difference in those stats outside of the touchdown. Tank Bixby, this is the kicker here. The, uh, the renowned running back only got nine carries in this game, 39 yards total. I believe in the first half it was only about five touches. So yeah, either way, he's, you know, he's averaging four and a half per half. Why? Bixby is, is such a force. He is the guy on that team, on that offense particularly. You don't want to give him more carries? Ashford ran the ball 11 times for 29 yards. Finley ran it 9 times for 21 yards. Why are we not giving the ball more to Bigsby? Tank is, has been a staple of this Auburn offense. An interesting choice not to give him the ball more often. On the other side of things, Clifford for Penn State was 14 for 19, 178 yards. <laughs> and Singleton, 10 carries, 124 yards, 2 touchdowns. Allen. Nine carries, 52 yards for a couple touchdowns as well. Clifford also getting a touchdown on the ground. This was a this was a thumping. This was a beating. This was an embarrassment for Auburn. This was there was nothing about this game that there was there was no positives about this game for Auburn. This was an embarrassing showing. And although the defense looked all right, they looked you know they did okay in the first half. I wouldn't say they did well in the second as they gave up 17 points in the third and 10 more in the fourth. But the first half, the defense looked okay. But the the inefficiency of the offense, the absolute... In, not, in, it doesn't exist. There is no offensive plan here that is working. And how is that going to be corrected? I don't know. Maybe Tank should get the ball more. It seems like that could be a step in the right direction. I, I get you don't want to become a one-dimensional running team, but there's no dimension right now to this running game. If you're if your top running back, who is one of the best in the SEC, is only getting nine touches, you're you're one you're one-dimensional the other way. So why are you not feeding him the ball more? I think these are things that Brian Harson is going to have to to look in the mirror and answer. And it begs the question. Does Auburn want Brian Harson? And of course the boosters do not, but what about the fan base? Over the offseason, it seems like the fan base rallied around Harson as he was kind of being demeaned by this the boosters. Seems like Auburn kind of the fan base rallied around Harson. They wanted him to do well. He's not doing well. He's not doing great so far. Two and one to the start of this season and this game. This game left a bad taste in a lot of Auburn fans' mouths. Now next week, surely they will bounce back against Missouri, but then, then they have to go and see Brian Kelly, or they host, I'm sorry, they host Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers, followed by a visit to Georgia, and then a visit to Ole Miss, and then they host Arkansas. I mean, it is a rough ride here. Mississippi State after that, it's, it's, a, it's a long ride here for Auburn. They're going to finish out with Texas A&M, a little bit of a breather with Western Kentucky, and then they're going to Brian Denny to play Alabama in the Iron Bowl. It's possible that Auburn could be fighting for bowl eligibility by the end of this year. I don't think it's going to be that bad. I think they'll end up with seven wins or so. But it's possible they're going into the Iron Bowl needing that win to get to a bowl game. 
And at what point, if it looks like that's the case, at what point does Brian Harson get the boot? Because I don't think anyone expects him to be back next year unless they essentially went out minus maybe a game or two. I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I think there's too much against him right now. The boosters wanted him gone anyway. So you give him another year. If you give him this season to do poorly, what happens then? When, at what point do you pull the trigger? Because there's already not a lot of coaches out there that are looking for a job. We're going to talk about more about the possibility of Brian Harson being fired later on, though. Nothing to... Uh, that we need to stay on track here. And we're going to do that by going now to look at LSU's game. Brian Kelly in his inaugural year as the Tigers head coach. And he's had a pretty good start. Uh, let's see here. So, Brian Kelly in his first first year. 2-1 and one right now. Of course, that first loss coming to FSU. But since then, has bounced back against... Mississippi State just Saturday, 31-16. and 16. And this is a good win. Mike Leach is not a bad coach, although he is inconsistent, I would say. He is a good coach. He does know how to win games. And this was a this was a big one. Brian Kelly needed to win this one. If he had lost this one and Florida State, which was not a good loss by any means, then, you know, the narrative would be very different because they handled business against Mississippi State against Will Rogers and this offense here. Things are things are okay right now. Things are looking all right. Daniels for LSU. He threw 22 for 37, 210 yards, a touchdown. Will Rogers for Mississippi State was 24 for 42. <laughs> Aired it out 42 times. 214 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. That's a lot. That's a lot of passes and not a lot of completions for Mississippi State. The air raid, still up for debate how it is transit, how it is being interpreted in the SEC. I'm not sold on it yet. I don't think it's uh, been too successful, but I do like Mike Leach. I do want to see how he continues to do in the SEC. I don't think he's on any sort of hot seat by any means. Uh, Jay Marks for Mississippi State. He ran the ball nine times for 50 yards and a touchdown. For LSU, it was Daniels who got the most carries. 16 for 93 yards and a touchdown, but a good one. And Williams also had a touchdown on the ground. LSU is an interesting team because I feel like any time that you have a new coach, there is definitely a learning period. There is a transitioning curve there that does not always result in a phenomenal first season. In fact, usually it doesn't. Nick Saban's first season at Alabama, like I mentioned earlier, they lost to Louisiana Monroe. They lost several games that year. Usually it's the third season, maybe the second, if you're a really good coach, that things start to look up. So, Brian Kelly this year, I'm not going to be too hard on him. It's his first year, although he has great talent at LSU, has had a very good recruiting class. It won't really judge him until year two or three. Either way, though, I think that this LSU team is, is interesting because I feel like they are good enough to win some games that may be... They shouldn't, or maybe wouldn't, under Coach O even. Let's look at LSU's upcoming schedule here for the Tigers after their game against Mississippi State this week. All right, LSU, they're going to have an easy one. they got New Mexico coming in. But then they are traveling to Jordan-Hare to play Auburn. That is going to be a very interesting game. I'm not sure what to expect out of that one. Um, If I had to guess... 
I'd probably bet on LSU as of right now, but we got another week to think about that. Then they host Tennessee, a very good Tennessee team. They go to Florida, Ole Miss they host. They host Alabama, and they go to Arkansas. They have UAB on the schedule. That's fun. And uh, they finish out the year at Texas A&M. That is a brutal schedule for a first-year coach. Uh, but I feel like some of those tougher games, it's possible that LSU splits, if not wins the majority of them. So it'll be interesting to see where the Tigers go from here. We're going to follow along very closely with them. But we do have to move on. And we should talk about Florida's game against South Florida. What a wild one. Ended nearly in a in a, a, a game-tying field goal. Unfortunately, South Florida missed it. Just barely there. And Florida ended up taking it home, winning in a very close one. A very close one. Florida, Florida is interesting. I like Billy Napier. I think he is a good coach. Uh, I think that he's going to do very well here. But after a loss to Kentucky last week, after a near loss, a 31-28 to win over South Florida, I don't know. I don't know. Again, first year, and Billy Napier's coming into Florida in a, with a very different first year as opposed to Brian Kelly is going into at LSU. It's more difficult for Florida this year. But that's not a good win. 31-28 to 28 over South Florida is not a good win. That's a very, that's an embarrassing win. That's one of those wins that you, you want to forget about because it almost, although it doesn't count as a loss, it almost feels like one. In that locker room this week, they're talking about that game as if it was a loss, as if it was embarrassing, as if right now they're sitting one and two. They have not dominated a game yet in the three Utah, a number seven, very good Utah team, barely edged them out, 29-6. And their other win, yesterday's win, 31-28 over a not very great USF. And then, of course, a loss, a 26-16 loss against Kentucky. They feel like they have not been dominant or in control yet. And I think that will be the narrative as they prepare to travel to Tennessee and play the balls there. Let's look at the stats here for this game against USF. This was an, an incredibly entertaining one. Very fun to watch. Um, I was pulling for USF. I always like a good underdog. Um, and I'm not a fan of most SEC East teams anyway. So I would have loved to have seen USF pull this off. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Although a great game regardless. USF should be happy with their performance. Although I'm sure they're wishing they had done a little bit more. Maybe not the kicker should be happy with this performance. But everyone else did, did relatively well. In this game, let's look at some of the stats here. If they will ever load, hopefully sooner rather than later. I'll be interested though to see who does better in their first year: Billy Napier, Brian Kelly. Right now, pretty similar, two and one. But uh, by the end of this, I don't think it's going to be quite the same. I think that one of these teams are going to do significantly better than the other. I'd love to see both of them finish in the top twenty-five. I just don't know how realistic. That really is. Right now, if I had to guess, LSU would be in that spot. For South Florida, Bohannon, he was 12 for 28, 116 yards, two picks. And Richardson, who has been pretty good for Florida so far, did not have his best game. For 10 for 18, 112 yards, two picks. All of Florida's touchdowns actually came on the ground. Johnson Jr. had one on six carries, 103 yards. ETN had one on eight carries, 56 yards. And Wright had one on six carries, 37 yards. 
And the same is true for South Florida. All three of their touchdowns came on the ground as well. Unfortunately, it was the kicking game that finished this one off. And that missed field goal at the end is what changed things. Uh, uh, Florida was one for one on their field goal. And South Florida, two for three on theirs, missing that crucial one there at the end to tie things up. A fun game, though. Cannot, cannot explain how fun this game was to watch. I had a good time with it. I was with some friends uh, watching it, and we were very, very uh, hopeful that USF would pull it off and quite disappointed when they didn't. But either way, it was a fun time. I think everyone enjoyed watching it. And I guess the same is true with the next game we're looking at. Texas A&M. A very close game there with Miami. Also going down to the final final few minutes there. As Texas A&M did eventually win 17-9. In a, a good win. A solid win over a number 13 ranked Miami. Although the offense didn't look great. They just couldn't put up a ton of points. They did what they needed to do and they survived. Now, does that mean that Jimbo Fisher is worth $100 million they're paying him? Probably not. We'll talk about that more later. But a solid win. A win is a win, especially over a top 15 opponent. Johnson was 10 for 20, 140 yards and a touchdown. And uh, the only ground touchdown there was also was by Johnson Jr., who had three carries for four yards and a touchdown. Um, on the flip side of things for Miami, Van Dyke was 21 for 41, 217 yards. They had no touchdowns uh, on the ground or through the air. In fact, all of their points came from field goals. Uh, one in the first and one in the third and one in the fourth. Overall, Texas A&M's defense looked, looked very capable, keeping the uh, the Miami Hurricanes out of the end zone, but just not, not the dominant performance that Texas A&M, I feel, should be having after having such impressive recruiting classes spending so much money to make sure that they have the best of everything. It just, it feels like when you're trying that hard, that your program should be better. And maybe that's just a sour taste in my mouth from last week, where Texas A&M lost to Appalachian State in humiliating fashion. But I don't know. I haven't been impressed with the offense. Only 17 points this week, only 14 points put up last week. I think it's going to be a problem, especially when you're dealing with teams that can score, like Alabama, Georgia. Not that they have Georgia on the schedule, but if they were to make it that far, they would. They don't see that happening, but hey, you never know. It's going to be tough for Texas A&M, and I think they're going to have a few losses. Appalachian's not going to be their only one. <coughs> All right, well, overall... Very fun day of football. We do have to move on, though, to our next segment, Professor Knight, although he's not here. So today I'll be... All right, students, gather round and put on your listening ears. It's time to visit the Learning Corner with Professor Knight. What are we learning today, Professor? All right, so today... Filling in for Justin tonight in the Professor Knight segment, I, Nick Norris, am going to look at some of the biggest sports moments on this day in history. Throughout the years, a lot has happened here. For, uh, 
For instance, on 1848, baseball rules that the first baseman can tag base out instead of the runner. That's pretty big for the sport. I love these early baseball rules, seeing how they've evolved over time, how they have changed. I think that's fun. I think that's good stuff. In 1909, we had the largest paid baseball attendance, 35409 to watch the A's beat the Tigers 2 to nothing in Detroit. That's fun as well. Boxing title fight happened in 1946. Joe Lewis uh, knocks out Tammy Morello in one for the heavyweight boxing title. A few years later, 1955, Willie Mays hits the record-tying ninth home run at Ebbets Field. He ties uh, Joe Adcock. The next year, Mickey Mantle is eighth to hit 50 home runs in a season. And in about 10 years later, in 1966, Baltimore quarterback Johnny, uh, Johnny Unitas, he throws four touchdown passes and a 38-23 win at Minnesota to surpass Y.A. Tittle as NFL's career leader with 212, finishes his career with 290 touchdown passes. In 76, the Cleveland Indians player manager Frank Robinson plays his last game as a player in the next year. Brooke Robinson's night is in Baltimore, celebrating the Hall of Fame third baseman there. In 84, Tim Raines is the first player with four consecutive 70 stolen base seasons. And in 86, David Boone's third test cricket century is 122 versus India at Madras. 1994, getting more into the modern era here, the first President's Cup in golf. Uh, Davis Love III is undefeated as U.S. beats the international team 20-12 in the inaugural event. And that same day, Ken Burns' documentary miniseries Baseball premieres on PBS. Two, two years later, Roger Clements, he ties his own major league record with 20 strikeouts. And a year after that, in 97, the year I was born, Steve Ballesteros and Nick Faldo are elected to the World Golf Hall of Fame. Skipping now to 2005, in the Federation Cup of Women's Tennis, Russian pair Elena Dementieva and Danera Safina win deciding double rubbers, 6-4, 1-6, 6-3, over Amelie Mazzaromo and Mary Pierce of France. They clinch Russia's second consecutive title. And in 2017, England footballer Wayne Rooney pleads guilty to drunk driving, is banned driving for two years. Forgot about that. That was wild. And that brings us to today. So, always fun to see what has happened in history on this day. I always enjoy that. But, we now have to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to give out our awards for the week, the TGME. So, stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome another episode of the Game Managers Podcast, where we are about to give out the most prestigious awards in sports, the TGME. I'm Nick Norris, and I will be reading out Justin Knight's awards as well, as he is not here with us. But first, let me give out one of mine. Biggest Scam Artist. The award for Biggest Scam Artist goes to... Jimbo Fisher of Texas A&M, who's getting so incredibly rich off the Aggies program without ever really improving it. At what point is Jimbo Fisher worth the money? Is one national championship worth all that money? Are they going to get one out of him? I don't know that they will. 
I owe a lot of his success at Florida State to Jameis Winston. He left that program in shambles when he left. I just, I don't know that he deserves all the love and all the money that he gets. Maybe that's controversial. I don't know. Just a Nice Award. This is the award for Seats on Fire Award. No surprise here. Justin Knight is a big Auburn fan that he chose Brian Harson to give this award for. Justin has been a proponent of Harson, but that's that's wavered here the last couple of weeks. Seems like perhaps Justin wouldn't be so heartbroken if Brian Harson was to leave. We'll have to ask him, ask him about that next week. Best of the week. The best thing we saw this week, he goes to Tennessee, who is still showing improvement under Coach Josh Hupel and is right outside the top 10 for the first time and what feels like a long time. Sitting at 11 in the AP poll, I would like to see the balls crack the top the top 10 after next week's game against number 24 Florida. Hopefully, we see that happen. I think that would be a real treat. So, we'll stick along with that. And worst of the week. Worst of the week, I had to give to Florida, who nearly let South Florida beat them at home last night. Game nearly sent to overtime with a late USF field goal, but... Unfortunately, it just missed. It's just, it's not a good look. Now, you could argue that Auburn should have worse of the week as they had the big orange, the orange out, didn't do the orange jerseys as they had they'd hyped up on social media and then got their butts kicked. But since Auburn has already took a beating in this episode this week, I decided to give it to Florida, who was, uh, who was struggling, struggled to get that win last night. Very good. Now, we need to go to our last segment of the day. Listener letters. Go getters, write letters. We're the ones who read them. Please don't stop writing in to fill the time we need them. We are reading letters. The letters wrote by you. We are reading letters. The letters wrote by you. If you'd like to write us a letter, you can do so by emailing us at gamemanagerspod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TGMPod. Give us a a message there, and we'll be happy to read it on the show, either one of those. This message comes from comes from Zach. Zach says, if Auburn fires Harson, who do they get? This is a great question because, like I said earlier, not a lot of options out there as of right now, unless you're going to try to poach someone from another school. And this is what I think Auburn should probably do. Right now, the popular answer is Lane Kiffin. If Auburn ultimately decides that Harson is not the guy, it seems like they should probably just throw a lot of money at Lane Kiffin. He's a solid coach. He's a great recruiter. He's proven to have matured, it seems, personally in the last few years. He's avoided any real controversies for some time now. He's the hot pick, and he's the most logical pick. He's also, he's exciting. And Auburn hasn't had an exciting coach really in the last 15 years, if not longer. Nobody wanted Gene Chizik. Gus Malzahn was exciting for a month. And then he was the most boring man who's ever lived. And Brian Harson was not an exciting hire. Nobody knew who Brian Harson was before he took the Auburn job. At least not in this area, not in this part of the country, right? I had to look him up. When they announced that hire, I was like, who? Where's he stayed? Okay. Lane Kiffin, people know. People get excited over Lane Kiffin. He is a phenomenal recruiter. If you can recruit at Ole Miss, you can recruit anywhere. The thing is, though, 
I don't know that Lane Kiffin would want to take this job, the death trap job that is Auburn. Because the, the boosters have made this job so unappealing with all the drama and the nonsense that coaches have had to deal with there. I mean, it's almost certain that if you take this job, you will be fired within two to four years. So I don't, I don't necessarily believe that he would take it. I mean, maybe. It would take a lot of money, I think, to pull him from his very comfortable job at Ole Miss, where everyone loves him and they just want to keep him around. This next letter comes from Ryan. If Alabama and Georgia squared off right now, who do you think would win? Very good question, Ryan. I talked about this a little bit earlier, and I hate to say it, but I'd probably pick Georgia. They have just looked as dominant as last year thus far. And while Alabama has shown signs of, of weakness in certain areas, like at DB's line, uh, even the receiver core being a little less impressive than usual, I do think it would still be a dogfight. I think it would be a really good game. I don't think that Alabama is ready for a team like Georgia just yet. Now, maybe by the end of the season. But right now, if they squared off, I would probably have to pick Georgia. But hey, what do I know? I'm just some guy. So right back, tell me your opinion, Ryan. I'm, I'm actually interested to know. Uh, thank you to both Zach and Ryan for your letters. If you'd like to be like these two great gentlemen, you can do so by reaching us at GameManagersPod at gmail.com or Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TGMPod. But that is the show, and boy, what a show. It's been a tough one without having anybody to bounce off of. I hope it wasn't too tough uh, for everyone else here as well. But next week, we'll be back with the same old classic recipe, Nick and Justin, back at it. So sit tight for that. Um, remember to write us at GameManagersPod, gmail.com. Follow us at TGMPod, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And until then, we will see you next week. Blue 42! Thank you for listening to The Game Managers. Like the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TGM Pod. Until next week, goodbye, adios, and sayonara. Sayonara.